Welcome to Be Your Own Muse, a podcast presentation of the Spelman College Museum of Fine Art. I'm Floyd Hall. Beverly Buchanan, Ruins and Rituals, is on display from September 14th through December 2nd, 2017. Beverly Buchanan passed away in 2015 at the age of 74, and with that in mind, this podcast features personal and professional reflections on Buchanan from a few people who knew her well. Writer Alice Walker, curators Lowry Stokes Sims and Karen Comer Lowe, and neighbors Reed McAllister and Mary Porter. Karen Comer Lowe is the Chastain Arts Center Manager for the City of Atlanta, as well as an art curator, educator, and advisor. I was able to reach Lowe in her office. I would love for you to just give some some background on uh, your career in the arts in Atlanta. Wow. So I'll start. I'll just go back to college. So I graduated from Howard University with a BFA. And then I went to Bank Street College in New York um, for my MSS, MSED. And so from that experience, I uh, came back to home and worked at Spruill Art Center. I feel like I've worked every, at every arts institution in Atlanta. So I worked at Spruill briefly, and then I moved down to Tampa, Florida, and worked at the Museum of African American Art as a museum educator there. And so, you know, I've worked in small, primarily small African-American museums and then started moving into galleries. And um, from the galleries, I expanded, you know, to other aspects of the art world. Because, of course, coming out of undergraduate school, I've always thought I'm going to work in a museum and that would be it. And I really wasn't aware of the broader arts, you know, until I started working in the arts. And I've also taught. I taught at Spelman for three years and um, also at Gwinnett Technical College. So art is just a part of me. So when did you first become aware of Beverly Buchanan uh, as an artist and her work? When I came back from Tampa to Atlanta, I started working at City Hall East, City Gallery East. And we had an annual series called the Master Series, which would feature one mid-career Georgia-based artist in the gallery. And that was an 8,000 square foot public space gallery. And so my second artist was Beverly, Beverly Buchanan. I became aware of her when I was down in Tampa, because um, they had some works in a permanent collection and also a few things in the gift shop. And so that's when I first became really aware of her and what she was doing. And um, when I came to the city, um, her name was presented to me as an option for one of the artists for the master series. And so that was my opportunity to work with her and to eventually meet her. How would you describe Beverly? She's like family, you know, like she's, she was, you know, very comfortable with you, you know, and just really felt like 
you know, one of my family. I don't know how else to say it, you know? Yeah, she was just direct, told you exactly what she was thinking. <laughs> no filter. And um, it was just really familiar to me. You know, she felt familiar. As a curator, how did you approach working with her in that capacity? Or how, how did you approach putting together the show, um, the, the Master Series show? You know, it was really a matter of getting into the studio and also working with her gallery, which was Bernice Steinbaum, which was, I think it was in New York at the time before she moved to Miami. Just working with both of those outlets to see what was available and to just start to put it together that way, you know, looking at the work, um, seeing the connection between the works and how it could tell a story visually, and just putting it together, you know, through that process. Can you place Beverly as an artist, um, like contextually, you know, how... How should we remember Beverly Buchanan's work? So let me ask, let me rephrase that. Okay. I would, I would want you to finish this statement. We should remember Beverly Buchanan for... Wow. <laughs> um, it's difficult to come up with one quick answer to that, you know? Um, but I think... For the way that she could tell the story of the forgotten through these shacks, I think is um, you know I, I think it's important to the history of African Americans as a people, you know. So the work can be. Let's go back. I don't know how to answer the question quickly. I really don't, you know, um, because that work should be taught through history classes, I think, you know. Um, and it's also important as art because it's really documenting a part of our history, you know. And um, I think she should be remembered as Uh, an artist that really took this Southern story and elevated it through her art. Looking at the exhibition, what do you feel like the exhibition captured about her work? You know, there was work there that I had never seen before. You know, like the abstraction. I didn't know she did that. You know, so I think it really reflected the diversity of the work, the depth of each body of work, because it's not like she just sporadically did this, that, and the other. Like, she spent time developing a body within each of those various mediums. And I really think it reflects how um, the expansion of her as an artist and the way that she thought about things, you know, like from the ruins, you know, the stones, um, to the paintings, to the shacks, you know, I really think that, and even to the um, mixed media sculptural piece, you know, um, 
I think it really shows the depth of who she was as an artist. What do you what do you think about how an artist like Beverly Buchanan is is talked about? In terms of sort of the, the continuum of of art tradition, mm-hmm. um, give some some perspective on on how she's talked about, or maybe how she should be talked about. Yeah, I, I do think that during her lifetime, um, she was embraced in the South more so than outside of the South, um, and maybe it's because of what she made, you know, but. Um, I feel like sometimes people were somewhat dismissive of what she made because it was similar to folk art and what it looked like. And I think because of that, many people missed what the message of the work, you know. Um, I think she should be remembered as an important artist you know, who documented this part of history through the work and recognized as the trained artist that she was. You know, I know she came to art later, but she wasn't necessarily a folk artist. And um, I think that needs to be clarified. I think with this show, it will really change the perspective and put her into another category because, you know, the research is deep on the work and it really is expansive. And I'm hoping that it will really benefit her legacy, you know, so that people, for lack of a word, now I'm not saying they didn't take her seriously, but but take it, look deeper into what she did, you know, beyond the shacks. Because I know I've seen some of the shacks and things over the years, like in children's books and, um, you know, kind of targeted towards children. And I know it's approachable in that way, but I also believe that people need to understand the stories within the pieces. Any last thoughts on Beverly Buchanan in, in any kind of context? I love that this show, you know, um, is traveling and that it's such an expansive look at her. And I just hope that, you know, her legacy continues to grow because she's important. Reed McAllister and Mary Porter lived next door to Beverly Buchanan during her time in Athens, Georgia. I was able to speak with them during an exhibition walkthrough at the Spelman College Museum of Fine Art. Uh, I'm Reed McAllister, and I have lived in Athens, Georgia, for about 40 years. And uh, I first uh, met Beverly when she very luckily moved into the house next door to where my wife and I lived. And at the time, I did not know her work. And uh, I just look back on my the, the good fortune of, of uh, having known her for about 10 years as my next-door neighbor. Uh, you know, she was a wonderful 
uh, caring and, and giving person. And uh, when she had the time, the mental energy, she was very generous uh, to us and to, to the people around her. And I'm very impressed with her, her knowledge and her ability to take her life experience and put it into her work. My name is Mary Porter and I'm from Athens, Georgia. How did you first come to meet Beverly Buchanan? Beverly Buchanan moved in to the house next door to me in 1991. And what was it like to have that kind of connection to Beverly? Beverly, I was always impressed with Beverly's generosity. Beverly was the most wonderful soul, the most giving soul, the most warm soul. And she shared not just her spirit, but she taught you. I learned so much from Beverly, hearing about her life history, hearing about art, um, hearing about all the things that she's done, all the processes. She was very nurturing, and um, I really appreciated her friendship. What does Beverly's work make you, make you think of, or what does it remind you of? Home. Beverly's work reminds me of home and how important the home is and what home is to a lot of different people. And um, she was just a very well-rooted person and, and also the way her, her, her homes relate to people and their personalities. Um, and the relationship between people, that was a very important part of life for her, was relationships, and um, you know, her work speaks to me in that way. And that doesn't make any sense at all, does it? I just went from one tangent to the other. <laughs> um, when you heard that mm -hmm. uh, this exhibition was happening, mm -hmm. what was your first thought? Well, we, originally we had heard about the exhibition in New York, and we thought, well, maybe we could try to get up to New York, and we just, we just couldn't. And so when we found out that it was at Spelman, we were just really excited, and um, we got here. And the, the nice thing about this exhibition is that you see Beverly's work from 1975, you know, through the, uh, the end of her life, and I hadn't re I'd seen Beverly's work in pieces, and in small bits, but to see the show here puts it together as a whole. And I hadn't seen Beverly for, you know, 10 years or so, and so to come here now and revisit my memories of her, you know, just made me feel really, really good. Lowry Stokes Sims is the retired curator emerita at the Museum of Arts and Design. Previously, Sims was executive director of the Studio Museum in Harlem, and before that, she was on the education and curatorial staff of the Metropolitan Museum of Art. I was able to reach Sims by phone for this conversation. I'd like to start kind of from the beginning, um, at least the beginning as, as you might know it. Um, when were you first introduced to Beverly Buchanan or her work? But it was sometime around 1980, 81, and it was probably through the gallerist, 
Jill Cordley, who was a very close friend of mine. And I I was remembering in, in 1981, that was like kind of like, you know, my Beverly Buchanan inauguration year because at the time I went down to the Triennial Conference on African Art, which was being held in Atlanta. And at that time, I uh, made arrangements with Beverly to go and visit her in studio in Athens, Georgia. And then she also had an uh, exhibition at Jill's and also at Heath Gallery in Georgia. And I wrote a little small piece that just seemed to have a long life on her wall painting, you know, at the time. And so I think that's, you know, probably how I came to know Beverly for the first time. And what were your initial uh, impressions? Well, I was kind of interested um, in her. Working at the Metropolitan Museum, I am, you know, dealing with the contemporary art department. I'm dealing with the politics of the contemporary art department. Uh, we're just coming out of the 70s when there was a lot of polemics about black art and black artists and what was appropriate art. Was abstraction more appropriate because it was more mainstream or should it be more figurative and sort of image affirming and sort of relatable to the black community? And so Beverly sort of um, was of interest to me because her work was slightly different. I mean, her wall paintings sort of reminded me of Aaron Siskin's photographs of, you know, the facades, the fading facades of, you know, New York City. You know, they had a very textural look to them and reflected her interest in architecture. So she took advantage of the suggestion of the visual effects of, you know, you know peeling paint or, you know, sort of uh, pockmarked, you know, like uh, masonry to sort of create these, you know, abstract paintings. But by the time I got to see her in Georgia, she was really full on in making her sculptural work. Um, and so that was what, um, you know, I sort of initially became in, engaged in and was able to engineer a uh, acquisition uh, at the Metropolitan Museum. And I think that um, what interested me about Beverly was that she she was very distinctive. She didn't fit into, you know, the, the categories that the artists, that the art world wanted to make for all artists and certainly for African-American artists and women artists. And... Um, I think that, um, you know, now looking back, we would kind of call her work post-minimalist um, because it's sort of, you know, cultivated these sort of simple architectural forms. It was very involved and engaged in the land, so, you know, it sort of related it to the work of uh, people like Carl Andre and uh, Richard Serra and Richard Smithson, Robert Smithson, but they you know, like sort of really caught up in her own biography and her own relationship to the Georgia landscape. Can you say more um, maybe about that time period? Uh, you you uh, touched on it a little bit, but if you could maybe um, paint some more context for maybe where the the art world slash industry uh, maybe was thinking around around that time, just to kind of maybe paint a deeper landscape of kind of what the setting was uh, around that, that time? Well, as I remember it, I mean, we were sort of coming out of the age of pluralism into the age of postmodernism. And um, 
you know, within a few years, um, the whole issue of identity would become a very strong one, which sort of, you know, allowed, you know, a greater coalition among different communities of artists, you know, around this, this kind of issue. So Beverly was doing work that wasn't specifically narrative in that sense, but certainly had resonance because if you think of place and you think of the, you know, the um, different aspects of place, place the, 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 the terrain, the vegetation, the climate and everything, um, there are, you know, trends in the art world, you know, that have sort of really dealt with those as both um, a kind of aesthetic, you know, departure, but also one that sort of marks, um, you know, one's identity, you know. So in that sense, I think that um, because she was from the South Carolina and Georgia area, that Beverly sort of really um, related, you know, to that um, area and really found a site where she could do a lot of, you know, in-situ site-specific um, installations along the Georgia coast, um, uh, coast and interestingly enough was um, dipping into the very ancient techniques of tabby, uh, you know, combining lime and uh, concrete and, and water to sort of, you know, construct her pieces. So um, she was sort of kind of like, you know, a Roman architect working in the 20th century, you know, in Georgia, but, you know, responding to um, the um, aesthetic imperatives of the time, which were about um, minimalism, you know, like coming into um, a more um, sort of autobiographical aspect. You can sort of see that also in the work of Eva Hesse and people like that. And also um, this idea of doing art outside of the nexus of New York City into a site-specific work like Michael Heiser was doing and like Robert Smithson was doing. So, um, and then eventually Donald Judd. So, you know, like, and with women artists, it was sort of like um, uh, Nancy Holt, um, Michelle Stewart, Meg Webster. All of these artists were sort of doing things um, about the land. And then you had to overlay additionally of the feminist movement where, you know, concepts of, of the the Earth entity Gaia um, would be, became ad- adopted by some of the feminists, and that sort of led to another kind of conceptual relationship that you could a woman artist could sort of establish with the land. Um, you know, it's this kind of generative, you know, female entity. So I think in, in Beverly's work, all those things kind of came together, you know, at that period. But at the same time, she was also, you know, in Georgia and driving the highways to the byways. And I remember, you know, her talking to me uh, because, you know, we didn't see each other that often because I was in New York and she was in Atlanta and I would sort of see her at Bernie Steinbaum Gallery when she came to New York, um, you know, and also in Miami later on. But we would, you know, talk on the phone, and if she came to New York, we'd have dinner and we'd discuss things. And she, she talked about the fact that she was really interested in these um, shack sculptures that she, I guess, was sort of seeing as she was driving around looking for sites to do her little, you know, sort of, you know, interventions, you know, like in, in the land. And she, she, she sort of realized that this was a 
um, architectural form that was vastly disappearing, but it was also a form that spoke to how African Americans and poor and working white people sort of created their own homes and their domiciles. And I remember we used to joke, and I said, yeah, you know, with my travels, um, you know, in Virginia with my girlfriend Daisy, we went all along the, the, the Charles, uh, the James River, you know, visiting different plantations, and I said there were no slave quarters. And, you know, we were sort of thinking, what, are they trying to sort of talk that the white people did all the work themselves? And we sort of realized that those kinds of structures were either taken down in some mistaken sense of, you know, creating a more political, correct sense of what life was like for black people in the South, or they just simply were made of materials that wouldn't last, you know, because they were made out of wood. And um, in, as, as a kind of symbol of this kind of combination of land art, um, women's um, feminist interest in, you know, sort of Gaia, and also feminist interest in independence and, and uh, um, sort of... Um, the will to do on the part of women, she focused in on this woman, uh, Mary Lou Furcon, who she found, who had done her own, who had built her own shack and was still living in it. So she did a number of photographs and drawings and um, also shack sculptures that um, sort of began to um, really celebrate not only Mary Lou, but also you know, the whole thing of women in the sort of, you know, the byways. And um, so I, I think it's, you know, looking back on it, I think it's very interesting how she found, you know, like in, in a form that combined her interest in architecture, her interest in sort of black, you know, folk life, and also site-specific situations, uh, uh, you know, all at once, moving from the sort of, uh, you know, sort of, almost faux concrete stone installations uh, in the uh, in the landscape to finding these these kinds of structures sometimes in a dilapidated state falling into the landscape so even when she be, I think she became involved in three-dimensional um, sculptures with the shack sculptures and some of her figural work I think she was also always thinking about the land uh, because that's where these objects would have been, you know, located. How should we remember Beverly Buchanan as an artist? Well, I think, um, I think a lot of people have, you know, picked up on her independence that she really chose to work outside of the nexus of New York City at a time when the art world was particularly getting very hot you know, in, in, in New York City. Um, she uh, found a way to sort of survive. She had, uh, we shared, um, you know, uh, an asthmatic condition. So we used to talk on the phone, you know, about various ways that we sort of dealt with that. And uh, she sometimes confounded me with some of the more extreme treatments that doctors were recommending for her. And I would say, well, you know, maybe you don't need to do radiation. <laughs> I said maybe you know you need to you know have a have a uh, allergist test you and see if you know sort of immunotherapy shots might be good. And I said and also Beverly, you might you might have to get out of Georgia because Georgia is pollen central. You know, like in the spring, um, you know there's certain areas that would be more 
conducive to your health. But she also, you know, followed her heart. You know, she she ended up in certain places because of the different partners that she, you know, um, became involved with. And um, so I think she was somebody who really was uh, independent, um, you know, fiercely loyal to, you know, her friends and her partners. And um, despite, um, you know, increasing physical debilitation, was uh, determined to sort of continue doing her work. And so I think as you look at the later career, you know, she's doing mostly these fantastic pastel drawings and these shack sculptures. And each one of the shack sculptures has a story to it. So, um, you know, again, this whole idea of narrative coming in, um, but, you know, not in a kind of um, figural way specifically. The narrative comes through the spaces that we inherit, the um, evidences of our, you know, evi- uh, of our, you know, existence on this world that we leave, and um, I think she really captured that very, very much. She had a wicked sense of humor, and um, really, you know, looked at life uh, in a kind of uh, jaundiced but you know, um, non-cynical way. And I always admired the fact that she kept, you know, she kept going and she um, persisted, you know, right up to the end. And I think that the kinds of sculptures that she have also engage us um, in many of the conversations that we're still having about the position of so-called folk or intuitive or self-taught art um, in the art world. And I think she was one of the so-called academically trained or, you know, plugged into the art world um, black artists, we sort of really um, established an affinity and a place for that art, not only in relationship to the overall art world, but into, in relationship to the history of African-American artists and the visual arts. As we wrap up, if you have uh, a favorite Beverly Buchanan story uh, that you can recall, um, would you mind sharing that? My favorite story, which I always go back to, is the first time I went to see her in Mason, Georgia, and we went to a local diner, you know, to eat. And, um, you know, we're sort of going through, uh, you know, the, the, the buffet line. And it, it kind of, when I saw the movie Fargo, and seeing Francis Dorman as Marge Gunderson going through, piling on the food, it kind of reminded me of that. And then we came to this strange substance um, that um, I looked at it and I said, um, what is this? And she said, well, that's one of the desserts. And I said, exactly, what is that? She said, well, it's kind of like marshmallow cream um, mixed with fruit cocktail. And I said, well, what do you call that? And she said, I don't know, but it's kind of majestic, isn't it? <laughs> and so it was just, you know, like that whole you know, just that whole experience, and I'm, you know, I'm sitting there wondering how this, you know, woman, you know, who came from New York, ended up, you know, in Georgia eating majestic with me, you know, and I'm wondering how I, you know, came to be there, and then we sort of sat down, and, and we just talked about all the, you know, like, people who came from Macon, Georgia, including the Allman Brothers, and the whole scene, and I think that that was another, you know, aspect 
of Beverly is that she always knew how to make home wherever she went. And uh, I just, you know, like cannot get that mixture of marshmallow and fruit cocktail out of my brain. And I always associate it with Beverly. Well, thank you so much for for sharing your perspective. That was that was a great story, and I've uh, enjoyed all of what you've talked about um, thus far. Uh, as we close out, if there's anything that you feel like you didn't get a chance to say, or anything that's kind of popped into your head as you've been talking, um, I would love for you to share that uh, just to kind of you know wrap everything up. If you have anything else, well, I, I just wanted to sort of say how uh, grateful I am to. Jennifer and Park for doing this this exhibition. I remember they first contacted me when they were putting together the publication, and I was trying to sort of figure out who these who these women were in Mexico City, you know, publishing this little you know um, um, issue. And um, then you know they contacted me again, and we finally met in person, and um, they were putting the exhibition together and. Uh, I just think it, it, it's wonderful that um, so many artists that, you know, have come through my life, you know, like, in, you know, like in the 70s and the 80s are now being, um, you know, and who, you know, fell by the wayside and didn't get their due for whatever reason, like, you know, whether it was geography, jet race or whatever. And it's just been very exciting and gratifying to me to sort of see a younger generation sort of look back at them and sort of find value in their work and to sort of bring it to the fore. And so uh, for that reason, I'm thrilled that uh, Andrea Bonwell uh, brought it to the uh, Spelman uh, College Museum because I think certainly given uh, um, Beverly's long relationships in Georgia, that was, was totally appropriate. And I'm hoping that the, uh, the the uh, folks in, in Atlanta and Georgia uh, sort of really um, enjoy her work and sort of find resonance in it with, that uh, many of us have in the past. Alice Walker is an author and activist often noted for her novels, including The Color Purple, Meridian, and The Third Life of Grange Copeland. Additionally, Walker's work encompasses short stories and poems, including a 2015 poem she wrote for Beverly Buchanan, entitled Beverly Buchanan, Artist, 1940 through 2015. Walker recited that poem for this exhibition. Someone who knew me well and that I had lived in many a gray shack, my mother transformed with flowers, took me to your house to meet you, to see the shacks you rescued from our shame and transformed with your wit, small nails, old boards, and paint. I was enchanted to see my mother's magic emerge from the end of your brush. Now you have left us. The streaming light through all your shacks cracks like the streaming genius of your own obsessed mind. How do we make new and restorative of soul the old pain? 
How do we learn to carry with grace and humor all that has happened to us? Buchanan, for instance. Whose name was that before it was slapped across the memory of the enslaved? Your ancestors in Africa were not Buchanan's and may have been esteemed artists, every one of them, for all we know. Ah, Beverly, all of us in our age clan are in the home stretch now. We will not be far behind you, trailing our chalk, our pencil sticks with which we wrote and drew in the dirt, our paints made from berries, barks, and tears. With open hands, we have offered our art made from whatever scraps were left over from our destruction. Their absence from the big house table of greed and ignorance never missed. This poem is to say how glad I am to have the shack you made for me. Red as a strawberry. I would never have thought of that yet how right it is, how right it has turned out to be. For I do not wallow in sadness, though it visits more often these days than I would like. The world is dying in so many ugly ways and humans with it. And yet, against all odds, I realize there will always be a Beverly Buchanan arising from a virtual nowhere to cobble together the broken pieces left over from the beauty that is destroyed and paint them red for dancing. Be Your Own Muse is a podcast presentation of the Spelman College Museum of Fine Art. For more information, visit museum.spelman.edu.